Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They're a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska called Hightower Ref Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast with Susan Ref and Tracy Hightower-Henny. So on today's podcast, we are going to start a three-part series about protection orders. We will talk about part one, which is the basics of a protection order when when you ask for a protection order and when someone is asking for a protection order against you. And joining us today is Aaron Wetzel, who has a lot of experience in this area on both sides of protection orders. Hello. So thanks, Aaron, for being here. Happy to be here. Um, so anything new with you lately? Anything fun happening in your life? Well, I'm going to Bozeman, Montana this weekend for a wedding. Have you been to Bozeman, Montana before? I have. Uh, since I grew up in North Dakota, we would go there a lot for skiing. So I, my cousin lives there, is getting married there. Oh, cool. So we're making the long long drive. We're going to split it into two days because I don't think my kids could handle 15 hours in one day. It's a 15-hour drive to Bozeman from Omaha? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we're going to drive to Rapid City, and that's about a nine-hour drive. Oh, and my then, gosh. You know, what? six, seven after that. So. I, so I grew up in North Dakota also, and I have never been to Montana. Really? Never. Well, you're on the opposite side. You yeah. were in Fargo, so you probably went to Minnesota a lot. Yes. I was in central North Dakota, so probably a little bit closer of a drive. Bozeman. So it's not ski season, so you won't be able to no. ski. Are you going to do anything else besides go to the wedding, like any outdoor stuff? You know, maybe take the girls to a splash pad or a pool or something, but I don't know if we can plan too much when you have two-year-olds, twin <laughs> two-year-olds. Well, and then you also have that it's family, like a family right. wedding too. So Yeah, so probably just a lot of hanging out with relatives. My relatives kind of live all over the country, don't see them in person a whole lot. You know, the day after a wedding, there's going to be a brunch that we're all going to go to. And then oh, that's nice. just kind of seeing what everybody wants to do. Well, I hope it's a fun trip and not a trip you need a break from when you get back like <laughs> I might we'll see we'll see how the sleep schedules adjust Ugh, yeah especially with the time change oh yeah what is the time change it's just an hour back okay. but when you think of it that's a lot my girls go to bed at seven thirty, so that's six thirty. that time everybody will want to be having dinner and <laughs> they'll be ready to go to bed yeah so then what do you do do you adjust their schedule or do you just like go oh we're going early I th I think we're gonna try to keep the schedule the same and then my husband might get put on toddler duty watching them and then I'll go back out and hang out with my family. Well that sounds more fun for you than him. Right. <laughs> less less so for him. Yeah. You know, I haven't been to any weddings lately. I mean I feel like with COVID we haven't really had a lot of big celebrations yet. It's just kind of just starting up. So Right. I went to a a wedding here in Omaha in April but other than that that's it's been over a year yeah probably two years since the wedding last wedding I'd been to before that yeah um my stepdaughter is getting married in the fall and 
so that will be the first big wedding, I think. I haven't gotten invited to anything. I'm also getting older where I don't get invited to as many weddings. And then I think in a few years, I'll start getting invited to all of my friends' kids' weddings. Right. And then that'll be a thing. Yeah, I was actually telling somebody that the other day that less weddings and now for me it's more baby showers yes yeah and then it'll be graduation parties and then weddings right and that's what that's kind of how that works so today we're going to talk about um protection orders and we're going to like i said we're going to break this up into three parts so today is going to focus on like how do protection order cases get started you first have to, well, the petitioner, the person who wants a protection order, has to request the protection order first, obviously. So there's a specific process that you have to go through for that that will explain. There's three different types of protection orders that are here in Nebraska. And then there's some misconceptions that people have that we'll talk about, too. Uh, you know, I, when you hear just on TV and TV or movies, you have an idea of what a protection order is. And it varies greatly state to state. And so I think sometimes people have misconceptions about them. Yeah. So if somebody wants a protection order in Nebraska, they have to go, they have to file a petition, which is a piece of paper that says, here's why I want a protection order. And in Nebraska, you have to allege that um, there's been a recent act of either harassment, domestic violence, or sexual assault. Correct. And then the judge um, would review that. And this is interesting, right? The judge does this without there being anyone present, right? The judge just reviews the paperwork. Yeah, even the person who requests the protection order isn't there. They don't speak to the judge during that process. It's kind of an administrative process at the start where a clerk gives the petition to the judge, and the judge reads the petition in the privacy of his or her office. And something, you know, that we do here um, that I, I don't think a lot of other law firms do it, but we we will actually walk a, a client through the process, including meeting them at the courthouse, helping them fill out paperwork or having them review the paperwork and then, or excuse me, write the paperwork and then we review it and make sure we think it would meet what the judge would want it to say to issue a protection order. Right. Some people are comfortable going through that process by themselves. Other people want that support from the beginning, and we're happy to offer that support and be that person there with them through those different steps. Sometimes, too, I think it's helpful because people often don't give enough detail. You know, they say, like, there was a fight, and we have to say, you have to describe the fight. You have to say every little detail of what happened. Right. If somebody doesn't give enough information, they might not get that protection from the protection order that they deserve, even though those facts existed in real life, just because of the fact that they did not put that information down on the petition. And people need to keep in mind that the judge can only make the decision based off of the information that they are given. They have no way to know what actually is going on because they're only reading sentences on a piece of paper. Right. And, you know, I think it's, it's pretty commonplace for someone who's been a victim to potentially minimize it, or they've maybe told the story so many times that they've, they gloss over some of the more important details. 
So that's where, you know, if we're reviewing it and helping them fill out the paperwork, we can say, make sure you add detail here or this looks, you know, you have enough detail in this part. Include, if you have photos, include photos. If you have text messages or emails or anything written down, you can include that in your petition as well. Right. I've seen people a lot reference the fact that they have the photos, they have the text messages, they have the video, and they don't include it. If you if you have it, you need to include it with the petition because if you don't, you risk the judge not allowing you to enter that information at a later date if it's not included with the petition. And after the petition is submitted to the judge and they review it, the judge can do a couple different things. The judge can grant an ex parte, which is fancy for emergency. It's like legal lingo or Latin for emergency order. That's basically a temporary order that says there is a protection order in place between these two people um, until either there's a hearing or the other person doesn't request a hearing. Correct. It basically means that the judge is granting it without speaking to both parties and without having a formal hearing on it. And then that ex parte order goes to the sheriff and the sheriff takes it out to the other person who's called the respondent. Correct. They serve the respondent with this order. And this is sometimes the first time that person's ever even heard that there's this protection order out there. Right. And they get served, you know, with this order from the sheriff that says this person has a protection order against you and you have um, 10 days to request a hearing to determine whether it will stay in place or not. Right. And so that's 10 days from the date that they're served, not necessarily that the date signs or the date that that the judge signs the protection order. You know, sometimes that's a problem in a case, right? Like we'll have clients that say, they want a protection order against someone, but they don't know where they live. They don't know where they work. They don't know how to serve this person. So maybe they have a last known address. Um, if that if the respondent can't get served, that protection order never becomes valid. Right, because a person can't be faulted for violating a protection order that they don't know exists. So sometimes... I mean, most of the time, a protection order is between people who know each other really well. But Correct. sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a former coworker or old neighbor or, you know, a distant family member that they don't know how to find. Exactly. The other thing that sometimes comes up is the person isn't in Nebraska. Right. <laughs> that And that adds another level of complication because the sheriff here in Nebraska can't serve somebody who's out of state. They can only serve whoever's located physically in their county. Right. So then you have to loop in a sheriff's agency or sometimes a service agency in the other state to accomplish the service. So again, you know, if someone is applying for a protection order, um, these are things that we can walk, walk a client through and help them and say, you know, here's some pitfalls to, to think about and look out for. And if you really want the protection order, you know, you've got to put everything in that petition up front. You've got to think through all of these different things, like where's the person located? Um, I, I've heard a million times of people who walk down to the courthouse to fill out the, their paperwork for a protection order, and they don't have all the information with them. 
So then it's either they turn in a petition that isn't very complete or they have to stop and make another trip down to the courthouse. Right. And if you don't have the complete information, you risk the judge not granting the protection order, which can lead to the other two outcomes. One of them is that the protection order is just dismissed and you're out of luck. You don't have any other chances. Uh, but the, the kind of middle of the road option is that the judge does not grant the protection order, but sets it for a hearing that gives you an opportunity to provide additional information to the judge about why you actually need that protection order. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's possible the judge could review the petition and either determine there's not enough information here to grant a protection order or all of the information that's here doesn't rise to the level of need of a protection order. And then the judge would just dismiss it. Right. In those situations too, um, that other person never knows that there was an application for a protection order against them. Right. Unless you're a person who knows how to go to the courthouse and look up that information and discover the fact that somebody requested a protection order against you and it was dismissed, you potentially could go your whole life not knowing that somebody had requested one against you. So I had a consultation um, with a client and he was calling for a divorce and he said, you know, we've been separated for a while and things just aren't working out very well. They didn't have any kids or anything. And it wasn't a very long-term marriage. And uh, I said, have you discussed divorce with, you know, your your wife? And he said, yes, we've talked about it a few times. And I think we're both agreement, you know, in agreement that this is the next thing that should happen. And so I looked online while we were talking because I thought, well, maybe she's already filed. It's possible she, you know, has the case on file. Um but I said, you know, his name popped up for a protection order. And I opened the case and I realized it was one that had gotten dismissed before, you know, judge didn't issue an order um, granting it, didn't set it for a show cause hearing, nothing. I said, did you know that about a month ago she applied for a protection order against you? And he had no idea um, that she had done that. And he hadn't mentioned, you know, any of the facts that she had put down in the application for the protection order. And, um, so he was really taken aback and he thought, you know, he, he was not in agreement with any of the things that she had said in the protection order. And he said, well, I'm really glad that that didn't get granted. And I, I would have never known if it, until I called you, you know, that that was out there. Yeah. I had that happen recently on a client who came in and hired me on a criminal case, it's a case that's has something to do with a, an incident that went down went down at work. My client no longer works at that place, but a former coworker requested a protection order against her. The judge granted the protection order, but then the sheriff's office was not able to find my client. She didn't. She wasn't trying to avoid it. She didn't even know it had been yeah. requested. And eventually it got dismissed because they weren't able to locate her and serve her. So she lucked out in that regard that she didn't have to spend the time and, and money to have me fight against the protection order. But it, it exists yeah. out there as far as people being able to see that somebody had requested the protection order against her. Right. I had a case once, someone retained us, and he it came in as a you know, uh, protection order client. And he said, well, uh, there's this person who's trying to serve me with this protection order. And 
you know, so I pull up the case. They don't have the correct address. They don't even have a lot of the correct identifying information. But it was him. I mean, the facts of how they knew each other and all of that worked out. And he said, I just want you to monitor the case for service. And I'll tell you if I ever get served. But, you know, if if the judge makes any moves on the case or anything happens court-wise, I want you to tell me. So basically, we were on retainer babysitting this this protection order that was sitting out with the sheriff for service. And in that case, this was early on in my career, I learned that they can, this will sit active for six months, and they will continue to try to serve him during that time. But after six months, the, the, the clerk's office dismisses the case um, for lack of service. And... Uh, so probably once every week or so, I would pull the case up and see the status of it. And I th- was wondering, what's going to happen after six months? Am I going to have to ask them to dismiss it? or will? And nope, it just got dismissed on its own. So um, yeah, if somebody applies for a protection order and it, they try to serve you, it can sit out there for six months right. waiting for service. Yeah, and I, I think protection orders are a little different in the monitoring of them because when you file a protection order, you're not paying anything to file that. So the clerk's office is handling all that monitoring versus a family law case that we file. You know, it's it's on us to get the sheriff's office to serve the other party, to monitor that, to pay those fees and those fines for service and filing. Whereas in a protection order, they know that this person is likely in a bad situation and they don't want that person to be burdened with the filing fees or monitoring the service attempts or anything like that. But that is one of the reasons why it's helpful to have an attorney on your side when you're going through this process so that you're not having to consistently call the clerk's office to find out if it's been served, to figure out what other attempts are going to be made to serve that person. An attorney can do that for you so that that's something that's taken off your plate. Right. Because because it's a we know it's already a, a very stressful situation if you're in a situation where you feel you need a protection order. And again, there are three different types of protection orders that you can file for. Um, there's a harassment protection order, which basically means someone's continuing to contact you over and over and over again. There's really no purpose for it, um, and it doesn't even have to be um, threatening contact. It just I think the law says a continued course of conduct that has no purpose. So if they're calling you all the time and like telling you jokes or saying stupid stuff and it's over and over and over and over and over again. I think the language says that it has to be threatening, intimidating, or terrifying and has no legitimate purpose. So kind of that two-prong approach. Um, But you don't have to have any type of previous relationship with this person. Right, yeah, that's it. Whereas there has to be some type of relationship with the other types of protection orders. Right. Um, Also, the other thing is it has to be a contact that has happened on separate occasions more than once. Right. So if it's a a series, like a string of text messages, but all happens on the same day within a period of time – you can't count the separate text messages as the two different occasions. It has to happen on two different occasions. Yeah. And then there's the domestic violence protection order, which would be when persons with an intimate relationship, they can be married, dating, 
former um, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, same-sex couples, it doesn't matter, as long as there's been some sort of allegation of an intimate relationship. I've even seen people get a domestic abuse protection order against a parent or a child, Hmm. you know, a parent against an adult child when it's an abuse situation, somebody that you share a child with, even if there was no relationship that if the child resulted just out of a fling, but there was never actually a dating relationship there, that's enough for the domestic abuse protection order living together. Yep. And then the last one is the sexual assault protection order, which is pretty new. Right. That's only a few years old. You don't have to have a relationship with the person in terms of a romantic relationship, um, but a relationship, obviously, in terms of there was a sexual assault that took place. So you had some type of contact that meets the terms that of how Nebraska describes a sexual assault. So I had a um, sexual assault protection order case where we were defending against it. And the petitioner alleged um, that there was a sexual assault committed against her. There was never any criminal charges filed, despite law enforcement being contacted. And the um, the interesting thing, I think, at the hearing, you know, if you're trying to read the judge's mind, was that the judge actually found at the protection order hearing that no sexual assault occurred. What occurred between the people didn't meet the definition of sexual assault, so the judge couldn't issue the protection order. And I thought that was really helpful for our client because sometimes, you know, a police report is filed in a criminal case or for a criminal case and charges aren't brought. But then as more information comes out, a prosecutor then may decide to charge later down the road. Well, we've already got one judge saying, I don't think sexual assault occurred. Um, so because my client was concerned, like, well, he was, he knew that charges could come back later. You know, it, it was something that he was really concerned about. So I thought that was really interesting, um, that the judge said, I'm, I'm making a finding, a specific finding in this case that there was no sexual assault. I feel like that's a case where I initially met with the client and then you handled the hearing part of it. I do think that that, I, now that I think about it, like you were out of town or you were, I had a scheduling conflict in the. The client wanted to get the hearing over yes. with and not continue it. So Susan took over the case. Yes. That's the nice thing about having multiple attorneys in her office who practice in the same area so that you have coverage if yes. there's a scheduling conflict. Because with attorneys who are in trial or in hearings going to the courthouse a lot, there it happens quite often where we have scheduling conflicts, where we have two hearings scheduled at the same time in two different counties. So I might have a hearing that's scheduled in Serpy County at the same time as one in Douglas County. And then it's nice to have Susan in the office who I know I can just hand the file off to and she knows what's going on and she can cover it for me. Well, and and interestingly, with protection orders, once the person who it's filed against requests that hearing, the judge sets it pretty quick. Right. I mean, I feel like they're usually within two, three weeks. I mean, is that usually your experience? Yes, I think the statute actually provides that with a protection order where it's an ex parte protection order, meaning the judge issues it based on the reading of the petition and affidavit, that they have to set the hearing within a certain number of days after it's requested by the respondent. 
And I think we mentioned this before, but the respondent has only 10 days to request that hearing. If you don't request it within 10 days, the protection order stays in effect. I've also had cases where somebody has requested the hearing 30 days after they were served, and the judge has denied that and said, you missed your time frame of 10 days, you don't get a hearing now. You know, that's really interesting, and that's probably the biggest takeaway for people who have a protection order filed against them is request that hearing immediately. Don't wait. Contact an attorney if you're confused as to how to request the hearing. Um, But one of the pieces of paper that you get served with is just a blank form that basically says, I'm requesting a hearing. You fill in your name and information, and then you have to get that to the judge's bailiff. And then they set the hearing. I think actually you, you mail it to the clerk, but when somebody's served with a protection order, they actually get a sheet of paper that very specifically tells them what their rights are and right. that they have to request that hearing within 10 days. So if you get served with a protection order and you want to contest it, that is the most important thing that you have to do. I would say do it that day that you get served. And and like you said, if you do nothing and it's an ex parte meaning the judge has already temporarily granted it, it's going to be in place for a year. Exactly. And in parts two and three, we will talk a little bit more about the details of what happens at a protection order hearing, what happens if a protection order is granted against you, what happens if you violate a protection order, um, how to conti- you know continue a protection order after it's been in place for a year, And then some of those misconceptions about what a protection order actually does or doesn't do for people. This has been really interesting. I think protection orders, they're like this weird area of the law, right? Like some people think it's criminal. Some people think it's family law because a lot of times it involves family members. But it's really in between. It's a civil proceeding. So that makes it lean more towards family law because family law is civil. But... It has criminal implications. Right. I, I think, like you said, it's that in-between area where it's interesting to talk to other attorneys that practice in those areas because there are some that you would think they that they would handle protection order cases and they don't want to touch them. You have criminal attorneys who want nothing to do with them. You have family law attorneys who want nothing to do with them. So sometimes it's hard to find an attorney that actually has the experience, and it's important to have an attorney who has experience with them because of the specific statutory requirements that need to be met to either be granted the protection order or when you're trying to fight against it. So that is one of the areas that I specialize in because it's important that somebody has an attorney that understands the different types, the process of it, what needs to be proven, or what you need to try to fight against to get it dismissed if you're the respondent. And again, these can get pretty messy. And there can be a lot of moving parts because a lot of times there's other cases pending with the protection order. So can't stress enough how important it is to get an attorney involved at day one, whether you're requesting a protection order or one has been filed against you. Right. So that's our biggest takeaway, I think. Call an attorney. Don't wait. Yes. And and we know that Time is of the essence on both sides of a protection order. So when somebody calls our office and and says that they either want to request one or they've been served with one, our staff knows, our intake specialist knows that they need to schedule that consultation with one of us as soon as possible. And we really know that we need to give that client priority. 
Well, thanks, Aaron, for jumping in on part one of our series about protection orders. And we'll be back to talk about parts two and three later. Yes. See you soon. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. And be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Rough Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.